0: Fade in. We descend upon Carpathian Ridge, a crescent-shaped cliff that extrudes from the dense Virginia evergreens above a deep rock canyon. The cliff marks the end of a dirt road that winds down from above. Donnie Darko, 16, is asleep at the edge of the cliff. With his bike collapsed next to him, he is shivering, curled, in a fetal position. He slowly opens his eyes and looks around, disoriented by the morning light. He then stands up, looking down into the expansive Rock Canyon. After a moment of hesitation, he takes his bike back up the hill. Exterior, Middlesex. Morning, 11 a.m. Montage is choreographed to Never Tears Apart by INXS. Donny pedals down into the suburb village of Middlesex, Virginia, passing by a large rock Middlesex rock pattern. Donnie pedals past two neighborhood women who are speed walking with hand weights. They smile at him. A Pontiac Trans Am speeds by. Exterior, neighborhood street, day. Saturday, 1 p.m. Donnie turns the corner and heads toward the garage. We pan over to the Darko house, moving through the front yard where Eddie Darko, 44, pulls the cord and his gas-powered leaf blower roars to life. Elizabeth Darko, 19, comes out the front door. She approaches her dad from behind. Eddie turns and aims the leaf blower at her face, blasting her with air. Exterior, Darko driveway, next. Donnie parks his bike and goes inside. Exterior, Darko, Backyard, Patio, next. We pull back from Samantha Darko, ten as she is jumping on a trampoline, and pan over to Rose Darko, 42, as she sits at a table reading a paperback copy of Stephen King's It. She glances over to the kitchen. Interior, Kitchen, next. Donnie walks into the kitchen. He then goes up to the refrigerator. Printed in magic marker on the refrigerator notepad is the phrase, Where is Donnie? Interior, family room, evening, 5 p.m. The opening theme of Who's the Boss begins as we see Tony Danza's blue van and the title card. We reveal Samantha, sitting on the floor, singing softly with the theme song, Brand New Life, performed by Larry Weiss. We pan over to Donnie, sitting in the Lazy Boy. Interior, kitchen, evening, 6 p.m. The Darko family has convened for dinner. They eat silently for several moments. Elizabeth. I'm voting for Dukakis. Eddie. Well, perhaps you have children of your own that need braces and you can't afford them because half of your husband's paycheck goes to the federal government. You'll regret that decision. Elizabeth. I'm not going to squeeze one out until I'm 30, Donnie says. Will you still be working at the yarn barn? Because that's a great place to raise children. Rose. No, a year of partying is enough. She'll be going to Harvard this fall. Elizabeth. I haven't accepted yet, Mother. Rose. If you think Michael Dukakis will provide for this country prior to the point when you decide to squeeze one out, then I think you're misinformed. Samantha. When can I squeeze one out? Donnie to his sister. Not until, like, eighth grade, Rose. Excuse me? Donnie, you're such a dick. Donnie. Whoa, Elizabeth. A little hostile there. Maybe you should be the one in therapy. Then mom and dad can pay someone $200 an hour to listen to all of your thoughts. So we won't have to. Elizabeth. Maybe you'd like to tell mom and dad why you stopped taking your medication. An awkward silence. You stopped taking your medication? Samantha. When can I squeeze one out, mom? Donnie, glaring at Elizabeth. You're such a fuck-ass. Rose. When did you stop taking your medication, Elizabeth? Did you just call me a fuck-ass? Rose. That's enough, Elizabeth. You can go suck a fuck. Oh, please tell me, Elizabeth. How exactly does one suck a fuck? Rose. We will not have this... At the dinner table. They are all silent for a moment. Samantha. What's a fuck ass? <laughs> Despite his brave efforts to hold back laughter, Eddie Darko lets out a slight guffaw. <laughs> Elizabeth's room. Evening. Saturday night, 9pm. Elizabeth talks on the phone, getting ready for her Saturday night. Rose knocks, and then enters. Elizabeth into the phone. No, I took a year off to be with you. Of course I care. Don't don't get angry. Covering up the phone. What? How did you know? Elizabeth, cutting her off. I didn't realize it was such a big deal. Rose. It is a big deal. Elizabeth. I, I caught him flushing the pills down the toilet. He knows you checked the container. Interior of Donnie's room. Next. Donnie lies on his bed, reading collected short stories by Graham Greene. His room is an organized wreck. Rose enters and begins to pick things up off the floor. Donnie. Get out of my room. Rose bitterly turns to leave, but stops at the door. Rose. I wish I knew where you went at night. Did you toilet paper the Johnson's house? Donnie's still reading. I stopped rolling houses in the sixth grade, mom. Get out of my room. Rose. You know, it'd be nice to look at you sometime and see my son. I don't recognize this person today. Then why don't you start taking the goddamn pills? Donnie leans over and turns off his lamp. Rose turns and leaves her son alone in the dark, closing the door behind her. Donnie Bitch. Interior upstairs hallway next. Rose stops in her tracks, hearing this, then walks into her bedroom and closes the door. Interior master bedroom, next. Rose goes into bed with Eddie, who is reading a hardback copy of Stephen King's The Knockers. Our son just called me a bitch, Eddie. You're not a bitch. You're in, but you're not a bitch. Interior upstairs bathroom next. Donnie removes his pills from the medicine cabinet. We see insert that reads L. Thurman, M.D. He looks at the bottle for a moment, then takes three pills and swallows them, staring at his reflection in the mirror. Interior master bedroom, night, 12 a.m. Eddie sits up in bed, unable to sleep. Interior family room, next. The TV pops on. Eddie drops him to the lazy boy. They are replaying the Bush Dukakis debate. Eddie laughs. Interior foyer, next. We pull back and pan over to the grandfather clock as the hand reaches midnight. Title card. October 2, 1988. Interior of Donnie's room. Night. Early Sunday morning, 1 a.m. Voice. Wake up. Donnie. Donnie jerks upright in bed, awakened from a bad dream. He looks over at his alarm clock. 12.50 a.m. His expression is distant, confused. Interior foyer, next. Donnie walks downstairs. Interior family room, next. Donnie stares at Eddie, asleep in the lazy boy. Interior kitchen. Next. Donnie walks into the kitchen, removes a magic marker from the refrigerator message board. Interior foyer. Next. Donnie walks to the front and exits the house. Exterior, Darko House. Front yard. Next. Donnie walks down the front walk to the street. Exterior, neighborhood street. Next. Donnie walks down the street. Exterior, seventh hole, night. one thirty a.m. Donnie arrives next to the pen and stares off into the distance. Boys. Voice. Have a night for a walk, huh, Donnie? Donnie stares off into the distance. Tonight is very special, Donnie. What? I've been watching you. Do you believe in God, Donnie? Donnie doesn't answer. He holds his stomach, taking deep breaths. God loves his children, Donnie. God loves you. There, standing on the seventh hole is a six-foot-tall figure dressed in a grotesque bunny suit. Donnie stares at the bunny nervously as a wave of nausea overcomes him. Bunny, my name is Frank. I want you to follow me. Why? I'm here to save you. The world is coming to an end, Donnie. Donnie doesn't answer. Look up in the sky, Donnie. He looks up into the black night. 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, 12 seconds. That is when the world will end. Donnie looks back at Frank. His expression is vacant expanse of confusion. Interior foyer, night. Elizabeth comes through the door, leans back against it, closes her eyes. Interior family room, night. Eddie Darko sleeps reclined on the Lazy Boy. The final notes of the Channel 12 national anthem fade away to static. From above, a thunderous crash. Plaster rains from the ceiling. Books fly off the bookshelves as the entire wall mount collapses to the floor. Eddie jerks awake. Interior foyer. Next. Elizabeth falls back in horror as plaster rains down from around the chandelier. Debris falling in the dining room doorway. Exterior, 7th hole. Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Donnie is curled up asleep on the green. A golf ball lands on the green and rolls within inches of his head. A golf cart filled with four older men arrives. Dr. Fisher, 45, gets out of the car. Dr. Fisher. Donnie Darko? Donnie Darko? Donnie Darko? Son? Son? What's going on here? Jim Cunningham, 40, the man riding shotgun, gets out of the cart and walks over. Jim Cunningham. Who is it, Don? Dr. Fisher. Ed Darko's kid. Donnie gets up and brushes himself off. On his arm, he sees something written in black magic marker. Numbers. twenty-eight, oh-six, forty-two, twelve. Donnie stares at the numbers on his arm, confused. Dr. Fisher. To Jim, kissing his ass. Sorry about this, Jim. Just, uh... Just a kid from the neighborhood, Dr. Fisher. So, let's stay out the green tonight, okay, Donnie? Jim Cunningham stares at Donnie with a friendly grin. Sorry, Dr. Fisher, it, it won't happen again. Jim Cunningham. I guess he was sleep-golfing. <laughs> Exterior neighborhood street, Darko House, morning, 11 a.m. Donnie walks down the street towards his house. A fire engine, two police cars, a news van, all parked in front of his house. There are dozens of neighbors in the street surrounding a barricade. Donnie moves through the dark crowd where the police officer is standing. Donnie. Hey, hey, I live here, police officer. Are you, are you Donnie Darko? Yeah, the officer lets him through. Near the cul-de-sac is a large caterpillar crane lifting something from inside the house. There are firemen roaming around. Two police officers are speaking with Eddie and Rose. Donnie looks over at the house. A crane lifts a gigantic jet engine over from the house toward the large flatbed truck. Firemen kick pieces of wood and shingle from the roof. He turns and sees his entire family standing there. Eddie is holding Samantha. Samantha. It fell in your room. Exterior, cul-de-sac. Later on. Two men in suits approach from a black sedan. A police officer directs them to Rose. One of the men removes a badge from his pocket and holds it up to Rose to see. Man. Miss Darko, my name is Bob Garland and this is David Coleman. We're from the FAA... If you don't mind, we'd like to speak with you and your husband privately. Elizabeth looks over to Donnie with a grin. Elizabeth whispers. They don't know where it came from. Donnie looks over in awe as a mammoth engine is now strapped to the flatbed truck. A man in a silver fire suit sprays the engine down with water. Exterior cold sack. Moments later. Eddie is signing some documents in front of Garland at a table that has been set up. Another FAA guy is there. FAA man, pointing to the document. And then here as well? Eddie signs off and Garland takes the document. Garland. We've arranged for you to stay at the hotel. Get some sleep. We'll take care of things here. Eddie picks up Samantha into his arms. He stands with Rose and Elizabeth turning towards Donnie, who seems lost in a trance. Eddie. Come on, Donnie. We're going to the hotel. Interior Holiday Inn. Room 614. Sundown. Sunday night, 530 p.m. Donnie lies in bed, watching television. Elizabeth is spread out on the other bed. Samantha sits on the edge of Elizabeth's bed, holding a stuffed unicorn named Ariel. Samantha. If it fell from a plane, then what happened to the plane? Elizabeth. They don't know, Samantha. Samantha. Is there any way that we can make money from this? Couldn't we get on television if we sue the airline? Interior Holiday Inn, room 615. Next. Rose and Eddie lie awake in the dark. Rose. So let me get this straight. No airline will claim ownership of the engine. So we have to wait for the FAA to decide who fixes my roof. Fuck that. We're taking the money out of savings. Eddie, quoting Rod Sterling. You are entering a new dimension of sight and sound. Rose begins to laugh. Interior Holiday Inn, room 614. Next. Samantha. Why do I have to sleep with Donnie? He stinks. Donnie. When you fall asleep tonight, I'm going to fart in your face. Samantha, walking to the door. I'm telling mom. Samantha, don't go over there. Interior Holiday Inn, room 615. Later that night, Eddie and Rose lie together in bed. Eddie. Frankie Fiedler. Rose. What? Eddie. Frankie Fiedler. You remember him from high school? Rose. Was he a year ahead of us? Eddie. He died, remember? On the way to prom. Hmm. He was doomed. Hmm. Rose lies there silently. Eddie. Jesus Christ. They could have said the same thing about Donnie. Our Donnie. But he dodged it. He dodged his bullet, Rose. Hmm. That's my boy. Moments later, the door to the adjoining room opens. It is Samantha. Mom, Donnie said he's going to fart in my face. Title Card October 3rd, 1988. Exterior. Bus stop. Morning. Monday morning, 7 a.m. Rose drops Donnie and Samantha off at the corner. Rose. Mrs. Farmer will pick you up from the recital. By now. She pulls off in the Taurus. Already waiting at the bus stop is Joan James, 11. Also, Charita Chen, 15. Samantha. Hi, Charita. Charita. Shut up. Also, there are Donnie's two best friends. Sean Smith, 16. And Ronald Fisher, 15. Ronald. Raising his hands in victory. Darko cheats death. Man, you're famous. I called you, like, a jillion times last night. Donnie, we went to a hotel. Ronald, my dad said he found you on the golf course. Are you sleepwalking again? Donnie, I don't want to talk about it. Sean, hey, now that you're famous, you gotta have a smoke. Sean hands Donnie a Marlboro Red, and he takes it, looking over at Samantha and Joni. Donnie, what happens if you tell Mom and Dad about this, Samantha? Samantha. You'll put Ariel in the garbage disposal, Joni. So grody. Sean, Ronald, and Donnie lighten up. Ronald is the most amateur looking. Sean. Hey Charita, want a cigarette? Shut up. Ronald Mimicking. Shut up. Sean. Go back to China, bitch. Donnie. Leave her alone, man. Charita looks over at Donnie, her quiet devastation poorly hidden. Exterior slash interior Middlesex Ridge School, morning, 8 a.m. The following montage is three long, steady cam shots in the main school hallway and courtyard. We follow Donnie and his friends as they pour out of the back of the emergency exit of the school bus to head over heels by Tears for Fears. We pick up teachers Karen Pomeroy, 27, and Dr. Kenneth Monotoff, 30, and Kitty Farmer, 42, with Jim Cunningham as they make their way through the hallways. Swarms of girls surround Donnie as he makes his way to his locker. There is a huge smile on his face. We reveal Gretchen Ross, fifteen. We see Principal Cole, thirty-eight, and then Samantha's dance team, Sparkle Motion, practicing their routine in the courtyard. We follow Miss Pomeroy into English class. Then time lapse dissolved through the doorway. Interior English class, day eight thirty. Miss Pomeroy has been reading from *The Destructors* by Graham Greene. Miss Pomeroy, there would be headlines in the papers. Even the grown-up gangs who ran the betting at the All-In Wrestling and the Borrow Boys would hear with respect how old Misery's house had been destroyed. It was as though his plan had been with him all his life, pondering through the seasons. Now, in his fifteenth year, crystallized with the pain of puberty. Donnie sits in the front. Miss Pomeroy. What is Graham Greene trying to communicate in this passage? Why do the children break into old Misery's house? Joni James raises her hand. Miss Pomeroy. Joni? Joni. They want to rob him. Miss Pomeroy. Joni, if you had actually read the short story, which, at a whopping 13 pages, must have kept you up all night, you would know that the children find a great deal of money hidden in the mattress, but they burn it. The class gives an aww. Joni blushes. Miss Pomeroy. Donnie Darko. Uh, Perhaps, given your recent brush with mass destruction, you can give us your opinion. Donnie. Well... They say it right when they're ripping the place to shreds, when they flood the house, that, like, destruction is a form of creation. So the fact that they burn the money is ironic. They just want to see what happens when they tear the world apart. They want to change things. Gretchen Ross stands at the doorway to the classroom. Miss Pomeroy. May we help you? Gretchen. Uh, I just registered, and I think they put me in the wrong English class. Miss Pomeroy study, sir. You look like you belong here, Gretchen. Uh, where do I sit? Miss Pomeroy thinks for a moment. There are several empty chairs. Miss Pomeroy. Sit next to the boy you think is the cutest. Girls, get up. The whole class begins to freak out. The girls all get out of their seats, eating this up. Ronald fixes his hair. Miss Pomeroy. Quiet! Let her choose. Without hesitation, Gretchen scans the class for every guy. As she gracefully takes her seat next to Donnie, they make eye contact. Donnie grins from ear to ear. The class freaks out laughing. Interior, Taurus. Sunset, Monday night, 6 p.m. Eddie drives Donnie down Old Gun Road, a windy back road that goes towards the country. Eddie. So, how was school today? Donnie. It was great. We had peanut butter sandwiches and apples and honey at snack time. And then during show and tell, my stuffed walrus was a big hit. Eddie. Good lord. So, the construction guys said it'll take about a week to fix the roof. Damn airline better not fuck us on the shingle match. Donnie. They don't know yet? Eddie. Know what? Donnie. Where it came from? Eddie. No, apparently they can't tell us what happened yet. Something about a matching serial number that got burned? But I had to sign some form saying I wouldn't talk to anyone about it. Donnie. So we're not supposed to tell anybody. What? Nobody knows. Eddie. <laughs> yeah, but, but you tell Dr. Thurman whatever you want. Suddenly, Eddie slimes on the brakes, and the station wagon comes to a sudden stop. Oh, shit. Donnie, Grandma Death. Standing in the road directly in front of the car is Roberta Sparrow, 101 years old, a.k.a. Grandma Death. Grandma Death lives in the modest brick house that sits back in a huge grassy field that overlooks the entire town. Her mailbox sits on the edge of Old Gun Road. Exterior, Old Gun Road, next. Donnie gets out of the car and takes Grandma Death's hand, walking her back to her mailbox. He opens it for her. Donnie. No mail today. (laughs) Maybe tomorrow. Grandma Death smiles back at him and begins to walk slowly back towards her house. Then she turns and takes Donnie's hands into her frail grip. Grandma Death, speaking slowly, Donnie stands there silently for a moment. Then Grandma Death turns back towards her house. Exterior, Dr. Thurman's ranch, sunset. We see a large colonel rancher in the distance. Interior therapist office, evening. Dr. Lillian Thurman, 58, is a beautiful older woman. Dr. Thurman. Your mother said that you've been skipping cycles of your medication. Donnie. I've been taking it. I just like to make her feel guilty for all of this. You know, abuse her, psychologically. Dr. Thurman. All of this certainly isn't your mother's fault, Donald. He's quiet for a moment. Donnie. So I met a new friend. Would you like to talk about this friend? His name is Frank. Frank. I think you saved my life. How so? Don't don't you watch the news? Uh, I don't own a television. A jet engine fell on my house, landed on my bed, while I was talking to Frank on the golf course. Dr. Thurman looks at him for a long beat, analyzing whether or not he is telling the truth. Donnie, I'm not kidding. Concerned, Dr. Thurman leans in closer. Frank instructed you to get out of bed just before this happened, Donnie. He said to follow him. Follow him where? Into the future. Then he said that the world was coming to an end. He rubs his arm where the numbers are still lightly drawn. Dr. Thurman, do you believe that the world is coming to an end? No. That's stupid. Interior, Middlesex Ridge School, hallway. In the empty school hallway, a gigantic tidal wave forms in the distance and comes crashing towards us between the lockers. Interior, family room, night, early Tuesday morning, 2 a.m. Donnie lies on the couch, fast asleep, his eyes slowly open, there, standing in the corner of the room in the shadows, is Frank. Frank. Wake up, Donnie. Interior Middlesex Ridge School, night. In the dark school hallway, Donnie rounds the corner with a flashlight, a can of spray paint, and an axe. Frank stands in the same hallway where the tidal wave crashed. Interior school basement, next. Donnie shines the flashlight through the basement. He approaches old piping. Donnie puts the axe back over his shoulder and then lowers it fiercely. The smashing of metal against metal echoes through the room. Title card, October 4, 1988. Exterior, bus stop, morning, 7.45 a.m. The same group stands and waits for the bus. The guys smoke. Charita stands alone. Samantha is reading something to Joni. Samantha. And then the prince was led into a world of strange and beautiful magic. Joni. Wow. Donnie grabs the piece of paper from his sister. Donnie reading out loud. The Last Unicorn by Samantha Darko. Samantha, Donnie, give it back. He pushes her away. Samantha, you're wrinkling it. Sean, hey, it's 7.45. The bus should have been here like 20 minutes ago. Ronald, maybe Martha Moo finally went nuts and hijacked the bus. Sean, you know, there's like this rule. We get to go home at 7.55. Ronald, there's no rule. Sean, fuck yeah, there is. The bus doesn't show up in 30 minutes. You're supposed to go straight home. Donnie, yeah, he's right. Because if we keep waiting, some guy in a van might pull up and try to molest us. And then our parents could sue the school board. Everyone starts to get excited, looking down the road to see if the bus is coming. Sean, wa- Sean's watch hits 7.55, no bus. Sean, all right, 7.55, everybody goes home. Ronald, let's go to Donnie's house. His parents are both at work. The three guys begin walking. Donnie. Come on, Sam. You can call Joni's mom from home. The two girls follow them. Charita stands at the corner. Donnie. Hey, Charita. uh, You should go home. Sean. Yeah, if you're still here and the bus comes, we'll get in trouble. Charita. Shut up. Sean. Hey, Porky Pig. I hope you get molested. Suddenly, Emily Bates, 10, and Susie Bates, 8, run up to the bus stop. Emily, hey, our mom said that the school is canceled today because it's flooded. Joni, no way. A horrible expression appears on Donnie's face. Interior Middlesex Ridge School, morning. A janitor named Leroy, 55, stands up at the end of the hall with Principal Cole. Water rushes past their feet down the steps. Leroy, I got 12 classrooms full of water, all coming from a busted water main. Principal Cole, what else? Leroy. What else? Shit, Principal Cole, you ain't gonna believe what else. Exterior back courtyard. Morning. They stand before the bronze Middlesex mongrel. Spray painted on the concrete before it is. The phrase. They made me do it. There are papers strewn everywhere. Embedded in the head of the mongrel is an axe. Principal Cole. Christ, is that an axe? Leroy. Yep. Principal Cole. How how did this happen? Uh, I guess they made him do it. Leroy can't help himself. He has to laugh. Principal Cole, you're fired. <laughs> Principal Cole walks away. Exterior, bus stop, 2. Early morning, 8.15 a.m. Donnie, Sean, Ronald, Samantha, and Joni, Emily, and Susie walk from their bus stop. Ronald, school's closed. Everybody go home. Emily, nuh-uh. Samantha, Yeah huh A cat burglar broke in and trashed everything. Susie talks to Emily. Joni and Samantha listen in. Emily, mom said the boys' locker room looked like a swimming pool and that they found feces everywhere. Susie, what are feces? Emily, baby mice. Susie, ew. Johnny, oh my god, that's so grody. Exterior bus stop, three, next. Sean looks down to another bus stop down the street. Sean, school's canceled. A bunch of kids scream out, jumping up and down. Exterior bus stop, four, next. Donnie approaches another corner alone. Ricky Danforth, 17, and Seth Devlin, 18, stand with Gretchen. Seth, smoking a cigarette. Hey, has anyone ever told you that you're sexy? <laughs> Ricky, I like your boobs. <laughs> Gretchen looks at them with disgust. Donnie walks into the group. Hey, Gretchen, hey. It's Donnie. School's canceled. They look at one another, surprised. Gretchen to Donnie. Want to walk me home? Donnie, sure. They quickly begin to walk off. Seth and Ricky look off at them, furious. Gretchen, don't look so freaked. Donnie, I'm not, but you should check your backpack because those guys like to steal shit. Gretchen, fuck them. Gretchen smiles at Donnie, then turns back and gives them the middle finger. Exterior neighborhood street, next, 8.30 a.m. Donnie and Gretchen just walk along the sidewalk together. So, you just moved here? Gretchen, yeah, my parents got divorced. My mom has a restraining order against my stepdad. He has emotional problems. Donnie. Oh, I have those too. I mean, what kind of problems does your dad have? Gretchen. He stabbed my mom four times in the chest? Donnie is shocked. Wow. Did he go to jail? Gretchen. He fled. They still can't find him. My mom and I had to change our names and stuff. I thought Gretchen sounded kind of cool. Donnie. I'm sorry. I was in jail once. I accidentally burned down this house, it was abandoned. I got held back in school again. Can't drive until I'm eighteen. I think when I grow up I want to be a painter, or maybe a writer, or maybe both. Then I'll write a book and draw the illustrations like like a comic book. You know, change things. Gretchen. Donnie Darko's is a cool name. Sounds like a superhero, Donnie. What makes you think I'm not? Gretchen smiles. She looks over at her house. I should go. For physics. Honatoff says I have to write an essay on the greatest invention ever to benefit mankind. Donnie. That's easy. Antiseptics. She gives him a look. Donnie. I mean, the whole sanitation thing. Joseph Lister, 1895. Before antiseptics, there was no sanitation, especially in medicine. Gretchen. You mean soap? Donnie. Don't knock soap. Without it, disease would spread rapidly. If we ran out, you and I would never live to see the year 2000. Gretchen. Wonder where we'll be then. Donnie. The best thing about soap is that it's the only thing on earth that can never get dirty. No matter what crap you throw on it, it always rubs off. And there it is again. Perfect. Gretchen. Until it withers away. She stares at him for a moment. Donnie. It's a good thing the school was flooded today. Gretchen. Why is that? We would have never had this conversation. She smiles. You're weird. Donnie. I'm sorry. Gretchen, that was, a, that was a compliment. Donnie, will you will you go with me? Gretchen, where are we going? <laughs> no, no, I mean, will you go with me? That's like what we call it here, you know, going together. Gretchen, sure. She gets up and begins walking up the hill. Donnie, where are you going? Gretchen, I'm going home. Title card, October 6, 1988. Woo-wee. October 6, 1988. Interior, therapist's office. Evening. Thursday, 6 p.m. Dr. Thurman sits next to Donnie. His eyes are closed. Dr. Thurman: And when I clap my hands twice, you will wake up. Do you understand? Donnie: Yes. Dr. Thurman: So, tell me about your day, Donald. Donnie: I met a girl. Dr. Thurman: What What is her name? Donnie: Gretchen. We're going together now. Dr. Thurman. Do you think about girls a lot? Yes. How are things going at school? I think about girls a lot. I asked you about school. I think about fucking a lot during school. What else do you think about during school? I think about who's the boss. Who is the boss? I just turn the volume down and think about fucking Alyssa Milano. What about your family, Donnie? No, I don't think about fucking my family. That's sick. Donnie, I want to hear about your friend Frank. Donnie is now undoing his belt. He is no longer paying attention. Dr. Thurman quickly claps her hands. Donnie jolts awake, disoriented. Interior English class, day. Friday, 8.30 a.m. Donnie sits with his eyes wide open, staring at something police officer out of shot. Aaron Armitage? Charita Chen? Donnie's face has gone white. Principal Cole. Donald Darko. We reveal on the blackboard the phrase, they made me do it, written over and over again. We reveal two police officers standing next to Principal Cole in the corner of the classroom. Donnie gets up and walks over to the board and writes the phrase. He then sits down again, without hesitation. The police officer hesitates for a moment, lingering over Donnie's penmanship. He then places a question mark next to Donnie's name on the roster. Ms. Pomeroy makes eye contact with him. Interior health class, afternoon, Friday, 1 p.m. We pull back from a television. A cloud formation blows across the screen, revealing a logo that reads, Cunning Visions Productions. A series of interviews follow, infomercial style. Linda Connie. And what I realized was that my entire life, I was a victim of my own fear. I was feeding fear with food. And finally... I looked in the mirror. Not just in the mirror. I looked through the mirror. And in that image, I saw my ego reflection. Donnie's health class is assembled in uniform rows in front of the television cart. Miss Farmer paces in front of them. Shanda Reesman, with her arm around her geeky son. And for two years, I thought it was normal for a 15-year-old to wet the bed. Laughter from the students. Miss Farmer. Quiet! <laughs> Shanda Reisman, choking up. We tried everything. But the solution was there all along. Larry Eisman burst out emotionally. I'm not afraid anymore. A montage of family imagery follows. Narrator. All across America, people have come together to join hands. People who believe that human life is too important, too valuable to be controlled by fear. A middle-aged white man walks onto the country patio. It is Jim Cunningham, the guy from the golf course. Jim Cunningham. Hello, my name is Jim Cunningham and welcome to Controlling Fear. The title card, Controlling Fear, appears on the screen, followed by Part 1, Attitudinal Beliefs, Frank voice-up. Pay close attention. You could miss something. Donnie stares at the screen, at Jim Cunningham. Exterior, Old Gun Ruins, Afternoon, Friday Magic Hour, 4.30 p.m. The ruins of a brick chimney sit in the middle of a field. Donnie, Sean, and Ronald have lined up several empty beer bottles, cans, and stuffed animals on the hearth. They take turns blasting these targets with a BB gun. Blam. Can falls over. Ronald hands the gun to Donnie. Sean pulls out a bottle of raspberry Train and takes a sip. He hands the bottle to Ronald. Ronald. What is this shit? Sean. Raspberry. He takes a big sip, which results in a dry heave. <coughs> raspberry. That's good shit. Donnie aims the crosshairs on Smurfette's head. He pulls the trigger. Smurfette falls over. Ronald, wicked. Sean, no more fucking for her. Ronald, Smurfette doesn't fuck. Sean, bullshit, Smurfette fucks all the other Smurfs. That's why Papa Smurf made her, because the other Smurfs were getting too horny. Ronald, not Vanity, he's a homo. Blam, a bottle shatters. Sean, then she fucks them all while Vanity watches, and Papa Smurf films it. Ronald takes another sip of Nitrine, followed by another dry heave. Blam, a a bottle breaks. Donnie, First of all, Papa Smurf didn't create Smurfette, Gargamel did. She was sent in as Gargamel's evil spy with the intention of destroying the Smurf village. But, the overwhelming goodness of the Smurf way of life transformed her into the Smurfette we all know and love. And, as far as the whole gangbang scenario, it just couldn't happen. Smurfs are asexual. They probably don't even have reproductive organs down there under those little white pants. The only reason they exist is because of a magic spell and witchcraft. Which is all a bunch of bullshit if you ask me. And that's what's so illogical about the Smurfs. What's the point of living if you don't have a dick? Donnie aims the gun, pulls the trigger. Blank! A bottle breaks. Ronald. Damn it, Donnie. Why do you always gotta get all smart on us? Donnie takes up the bottle of night train and takes a small sip. Their conversation is interrupted by the squealing of tires. Exterior, old gun road. Next. Magic hour, 5pm. Down the hill... A Dodge minivan is stopped on Old Gun Road. Grandma Death is once again in the middle of the street. Donnie. Grandma Death. Miss Farmer leans her head out the window. Excuse me! Grandma Death doesn't hear her. She wanders around in circles. Furious, Miss Farmer gets out of the car and walks over to the old woman, walking her by the shoulders back to her driveway. Miss Farmer. Please stay out of the road, Miss Sparrow. If this happens again, I'm going to call the social services. Miss Farmer gets back behind the wheel and they drive off. Grandma Death lurks around her mailbox. Ronald, how old is Grandma Death? Donnie, 101, I think. Every day she does the same thing, but there's never any mail. Grandma Death approaches the mailbox. Sean, here we go. This could be it. She opens it, then closes it, walks away. Ronald, aw, that sucks. She approaches the box again. What? Wait a minute. We may still have mail. Opens it. Closes it. Walks away. Ronald. Ah! They continue to watch her, sipping liquor into the sunset, as Grandma Death repeats this act like an ancient wind-up doll. Interior, family room. Evening. Friday, 7 p.m. Donnie lies on the couch watching television, where there's a news story about the flood to school. Several construction workers are packing up their things. Interior, upstairs bathroom. Moments later. Looking nauseous, Donnie opens the medicine cabinet and retrieves his pills. He takes four of them. Donnie takes a drink of water, closing his eyes. He puts the pillows back and closes the cabinet. In the mirror's reflection is Frank. Donnie jumps. Frank, you got away with it. Don't worry. Donnie reaches his hand out towards Frank and it presses against an invisible wall, as if he were pressing his hand against liquid glass. Donnie, how can you do that? I can do anything I want. And so can you. Donnie stares closely at Frank, then he removes his hand's... And moves back away from them. Exterior Middle School. Exterior Middlesex School Auditorium Evening seven fifteen PM. A sign reads Emergency PTA meeting tonight. Interior Auditorium Evening seven fifteen PM. Parents and teachers convene in front of the auditorium entrance. Kitty Farmer hands out Xeroxed images of something. Eddie and Rose chit chat with the other concerned parents. Miss Pomeroy approaches Kitty Farmer. Miss Pomeroy. What are you trying to accomplish here? Miss Farmer, indignant. There was urine and feces flooded in my office. Interior Auditorium. Later on. The crowd settles. Principal Cole takes the stage. Principal Cole. In cooperation with the county police, we have begun an active investigation into the cause of flooding, and our suspects include several of our own students. Kitty Farmer stands up in her seat near the front row. Miss Farmer. I want to know why this filth is being taught to our children. The crowd stirs. Principal Cole. Kitty, I would appreciate if you could wait. Mr. Cole, not only am I a teacher, but I am also a parent of a middle-sex child. Therefore, I am the only person here who transcends the parent-teacher bridge. Principal, Kitty. The bottom line, Mr. Cole, is that there is material being taught to our children that is cause for this destructive behavior. She stands up. I have in my hand Graham Greene's The Destructors. This short story is part of my daughter's English assignment. In this story, several children destroy an elderly man's house from inside out. They destroy his house without motive, without moral consequences. They destroy private property, and they get away with it. Miss Pomeroy shakes her head bitterly. Miss Farmer. And how do they do this? They flood the house by breaking through the main water vein. Principal Cole, trying to calm her down. This meeting of the PTA was called to inform the parents of our ongoing investigation, Miss Farmer. I am the PTA. And I say that this filth is directly related to this vandalism. Applause from the crowd, Miss Farmer. I think this garbage should be removed. Several shouts of approval come from the crowd. Interior upstairs, bathroom, evening. Donnie continues to converse with Frank. Donnie, why'd you make me flood the school? We just want to guide you in the right direction. Who is we? You'll know soon enough. Donnie, desperate. Where do you come from? Frank. Do you believe in time travel, Donnie? A moment of silence. Samantha. Who are you talking to? Donnie turns around to see Samantha standing in the doorway. Frank is gone. Interior auditorium. Night. A heated debate among the parents is underway. Frustrated. Rose stands up. Karen Pomeroy is furious. Rose. Excuse me, but what is the real issue here? The PTA doesn't ban books from school. Miss Farmer. The PTA is here to acknowledge that there is pornography in our school's curriculum. Miss Pomeroy, standing up. My God! Woman, are you drunk? Excuse me? You need to go back to grad school. Rose to Kitty. Do you even know who Graham Green is? Miss Farmer to Rose. I think we have all seen Bonanza. Miss Pomeroy is disgusted. Rose and Eddie burst out laughing. (laughs) Rose and Eddie burst out laughing. Grab their coats and leave. Exterior, Wizards Arcade. Afternoon, Saturday, 1 p.m. Donnie and Gretchen play a Sega race car driving game. Donnie drives a souped-up red Ferrari through the Grand Canyon. So, when you sleepwalk, can you remember afterward? Like, do you dream? Donnie. No. I just wake up and I look around, try to figure out where I am, how I got there. Gretchen. My dad said never wake a sleepwalker, because they could drop dead. The Trans Am crashes head on into a tree. Game over. Donnie. It's like this big force that's in your brain, but sometimes it grows bigger and it spreads down into your arms and legs and just sends you someplace. Gretchen. So when you sleepwalk, you go somewhere familiar? No. Every time I wake up somewhere different. Sometimes my bike is laying there next to me, like once I woke up on the edge of this cliff up on Carpathian Ridge. Gretchen. And you'd never been there before? They sit silently for a moment. Donnie? Yeah. Do you ever feel as though there's always somebody watching you? Why? Well, maybe someone is, like, giving you these dream steroids. And sleepwalking is someone showing you the way. Title card. October 13, 1988. Interior English class. Morning, Thursday, 8 a.m. Donnie stands in front of the class. Miss Pomeroy sits behind her desk. On the chalkboard is Poetry Day. Donnie. A storm is coming, Frank says, a storm that will swallow the children, and I will deliver them from the kingdom of pain. I will deliver the children to their doorsteps. I will send the monsters back to the underground. I will send them back to a place where no one can see them, except for me, because I am Donnie Darko. Donnie returns to his seat. Miss Pomeroy stares at him intensely. Who is Frank? Donnie. Six foot tall bunny rabbit. The class begins to laugh. Donnie looks over at Gretchen. Interior Health Class Afternoon, Thursday at one PM. Miss Farmer stands next to the Miss tel- <laughs> Farmer stands next to the television where Jim Cunningham narrates the lifeline tutorial. Jim Cunningham. And so let us begin lifeline exercise number one. Please press stop now appears on the screen. Miss Farmer stops the tape and moves to the blackboard. On it, she has drawn a horizontal line bookended by the words love and fear. Miss Farmer. As you can see, the lifeline is controlled by two polar extremes, fear and love. Fear is in the negative energy spectrum. Love is in the positive energy spectrum. Sean to Donnie. No duh. Miss Farmer. Excuse me? No duh is a product of fear. She stares them down for a moment, shaking her head. Miss Farmer handing out cards. Now on each card is a character dilemma which applies to the lifeline. Please read each character dilemma aloud and place an X on the lifeline in an appropriate place. The students read their cards. Kitty Farmer. We'll start in the front. Charita Chen stands up and walks over to the blackboard. Miss Farmer pulls up large white cards that have black and white animated cartoons on them. Charita. Juanita has an important math test today. She has known about the test for several weeks, but she has not studied. In order to keep from failing her class, Juanita decides that she will cheat on the math test. Charita places an X near the fear end of the lifeline. Miss Farmer. Good. Next. Donnie watches as several more students interpret their respective human dilemma. Finally, it is his turn. Donnie. Ling Ling flies a... <laughs> Ling finds a wallet on the ground, filled with money. She takes the wallet to the address on the driver's license, but keeps the money inside the wallet. Donnie looks at the blackboard. Donnie. I- I'm sorry, Miss Farmer. I just, I just don't get this. Miss Farmer. Impatient. Just place an X in the appropriate place on the lifeline. I, I just don't get this. Everything can't be lumped into two categories. That's too simple. The lifeline is divided that way. Well, life isn't that simple. So what if Lingling kept the cash and returned the wallet? That has nothing to do with either fear or love. Fear and love are the deepest of human emotions. Well, yeah, okay, but you're not listening to me. There are other things that need to be taken into account here, like the whole spectrum of human emotion you're just lumping everything into these two categories and, like, denying everything else. Miss Farmer stands at Donnie vehemently. She can't believe what she's hearing. Donnie. People aren't that simple. Miss Farmer, not knowing how to argue with him. If you don't complete the assignment, you'll get a zero for the day. Donnie thinks a moment, then raises his hand. <laughs> Interior. Principal Cole's office. Afternoon. 2 p.m. Donnie and his parents sit in front of Principal Cole. Principal Cole. Donald... Let me preface this by saying that your Iowa scores are intimidating. Rubbing his temples. So, let's go over this again. What exactly did you say to Miss Farmer? Donnie does not answer. We reveal Miss Farmer standing in the corner. Miss Farmer fear He asked me to forcibly insert the lifeline exercise card into my anus. Silence. Rose looks down, furious. Eddie lets out a snort laugh, which he tries to conceal with a cough. It doesn't work. Interior teacher's lounge. Office, moments later, 2.15pm. Eddie and Donnie exit Cole's office, moving on while Rose approaches Kitty, who looks visibly shaken. Rose, Kitty, I don't know what to say. They've suspended him for two days. Ever since this jet fiasco, I honestly don't know what's gotten into him. Miss Farmer, Rose, I'll tell you this because our daughters have been on the dance team together for two years, and I respect you as a woman, but after witnessing your son's behavior today, I, I have significant doubts... Our paths in life must be righteous. I urge you to go home and look in the mirror and pray that your son does not succumb to the path of fear. Kitty Farmer turns and walks away. Exterior, darko background. Patio, sunset, magic hour, 5.30pm. Samantha jumps up and down on a trampoline. Interior, Donnie's room, night, 5.30pm. Donnie walks into his room again for the first time since the accident. Looking around at the new furniture, paint, and carpet, everything is perfect. Elizabeth peers in the doorway behind him with a cordless phone in her hand. Elizabeth into the phone. Oh my god. Remember that gym teacher, Miss Farmer? Yeah, well, I guess my brother called her a fat bitch today in class and got suspended. And my parents just bought him all this new shit. Yeah, I know. I I wish a jet engine would have fallen into my room. Interior. Mariano's Italian Bistro. Night. 6 p.m. Eddie and Rose sit across from one another at the bistro patio, having a quiet dinner to themselves. Rose, he's too old to be behaving this way. Eddie considers this. Eddie, oh, I say we buy him a moped. Interior of Donnie's room, night, 7 p.m. Donnie lies in bed, looking up at the ceiling. He then rolls over and looks at the calendar on his wall. The days of each month of October are marked off with an X in each square. Tacked onto the calendar is a drawing of Frank. Donnie, 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, 12 seconds. Interior physics class, day, Friday, 2.30 p.m. As everyone is leaving class, Donnie stays behind. Donnie. Dr. Monatov, Dr. Monatov, Donnie. I know that this is going to sound kind of weird, but but do you know anything about time travel? Dr. Monatoff pauses, turns and looks at Donnie. He seems to know something. Interior physics class, later on. Dr. Monatoff has drawn a diagram on the blackboard. In his hands he holds a copy of Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. So, according to Hawking, wormholes might be able to provide a shortcut for jumping between two distant regions of space-time. Donnie. So, in order to travel back in time, you'd have to have a big spaceship or something that can travel faster than the speed of light. Theoretically. Donnie. And be able to find one of these wormholes. Dr. Mata. A wormhole is an Einstein-Rosen bridge, which is theoretically a wormhole in space controlled by man. Donnie. So, that's it? Dr. Monotov. The basic principles of time travel are there. So you have the vessel and the portal. And the vessel can be anything. Most likely a spacecraft. Exterior schoolyard next. Charita Chen listens to this conversation intently. Interior physics class. Next. Donnie. Like the DeLorean. (laughs) A metal craft of any kind. Donnie stares at him intently. Dr. Monotov walks over to his desk and picks up a book. Don't tell anybody that I gave you this. The woman who wrote it used to teach here a long time ago. She was a nun for many years, and then overnight she just became this entirely different person. She up and left the church, wrote this book, and started teaching science. Donnie takes the battered book. We see the cover. Interior school, main hallway, moments later. Donnie stands before an array of old photographs. We zoom into a black and white photograph of young Roberta Sparrow standing in a class photograph dated 1944. Donnie looks down at the book, and then at the photograph. Donnie. Roberta Sparrow, Grandma Death, Interior Kitchen, Night, Friday, 6pm, Donnie sits down for a dinner with his family, Donnie, It's called the philosophy of time travel, Elizabeth, What does time travel have to do with philosophy, Donnie, Guess who wrote it, no one seems to know, Grandma Death, Rose, That is a terrible nickname, Eddie, Grandma Death, Donnie to Eddie. You know, Roberta Sparrow. We almost hit her with the car the other day. Rose. I've heard she's loaded. The family's taken aback. Eddie. You're right. Roberta Sparrow was famous for her gem collections. Kids used to try to steal stuff from her all the time. Over the years, as she got older, she became more and more of a recluse. Now she just likes to stay up there all by herself. Donnie. I guess she just lost faith in the world. Exterior Darko Backyard. Sunset. Saturday, 5.30 p.m. Slow motion. Donnie and Gretchen jump up and down on the trampoline, lost among falling autumn leaves. Interior therapist's office, day. Sunday, 12 p.m. Donnie is on Dr. Thurman's couch. Dr. Thurman. How many times have you seen Frank? Donnie. Four times. So far. Can anyone else see him? I don't think so. It's like a TV station, and they're tuned into mine and no one else's. Dr. Thurman. Who is they? Is... Frank part of some larger group I don't know Gretchen has a theory that Frank is a sign I told her I thought it was ridiculous a sign from whom Donnie changing the subject I think that Frank wants me to go to this woman holding up the book she wrote a book about time travel Frank asked me if I believed in time travel that that can't just be a random coincidence my dad almost hit her with a car the other day and she said the creepiest thing She said that every living creature on this earth dies alone. How did that make you feel? It reminded me of my dog, Callie. Is Callie still around? No. She died when I was eight. We couldn't find her for days. She went and crawled underneath our back porch. Do you feel alone right now? He looks at her for a moment. I'd like to believe that I'm not, but I've just never seen any proof. So I just choose not to bother with it. It's like I could spend my whole life thinking about it, debating it in my head, weighing the pros and cons. And in the end, I still wouldn't have proof. So I don't even debate it anymore because it's absurd. I don't want to be alone. So does that make me like an atheist? Dr. Thurman. No, that makes you keep searching. Donnie takes this in for a moment. Interior family room, evening, Sunday, 7.15 p.m. Eddie and Dr. Fisher watched the Redskins game. Ronald and Donnie watched the game in the family room. Eddie. Uh, we need Tiesman. Dr. Fisher. We need a miracle. Interior kitchen next. Rose and Ann Fisher, 45, share a bottle of wine at the kitchen table. Ann. Yeah. And so his tapes made me realize that for 45 years I've been a prisoner of fear. Rose, you, you have to meet Jim Cunningham, taking a sip of wine. I can't believe he's not married. Samantha bounces through the kitchen and into the family room, wearing a Dorothy outfit from The Wizard of Oz. Interior family room next. Donnie sits back in the lazy boy, dozing off. John Madden's CBS chalkboard unfolds on the TV screen. Madden traces his electronic lines across the screen, tracing the movement of the players as their images are frozen in time. Donnie's eyes close, and then reopen. Donnie turns his head and sees that the room is momentarily bathed in artificial white light, as if... God hit the slow-motion button during the flash of lightning. Donnie turns his head and sees that protruding from his father's stomach is a thick spear made of silvery plastic gel. As Eddie gets up from the couch to walk over to the refrigerator, his spear precedes him, morphing into an extruded arrow that reaches the refrigerator several seconds before him. spear traces the exact geography of this movement through time, using his center of gravity as his axis point. Donny turns to see Samantha skipping from the kitchen as her spear bounces several feet in front of her like a caterpillar. Her spear, smaller than her father's, is proportional to her mass. Samantha, her voice echoing through the silence, follow the yellow brick road. Donny looks down at his stomach and sees his own spear protruding outward. It then begins to extrude forward towards the foyer. He does not follow it. It then retreats back and beckons him to follow. Like a child transfixed by a firefly, Donnie follows the path of his spear into the foyer. Donnie and his spear round the corner and arrive in his parents' bedroom. His spear lands into the closet. He opens the closet door, and the spear leads him down to a box hidden beneath his father's shoe rack. Donnie removes the box from the closet and unlatches it. Inside it is a gun. Donnie removes the pistol from the box, staring at it with the same childlike expression. Suddenly, Donnie's universe snaps back to normal. The white light strobes. The spear is vanished. Donnie still holds the gun. His expression changes to nervous shock. His eyes linger over the gun for a moment, but then he quickly puts it back in the box and carefully places the box back under the shoe rack. Title Card October eighteenth, nineteen eighty eight. Exterior bus stop morning, Tuesday, seven thirty a.m. The usual bus stop crew is there. Donnie arrives last by himself. He looks tired and preoccupied. A plane flies overhead. They all look up at the sky. Interior English class morning, 8.30 a.m. We see students placing the Graham Greene book on Miss Pomeroy's desk. Miss Pomeroy. It gives me no pleasure to deny you the right to read one of the great writers of the 20th century. But alas, I have not yet been elected queen of the universe. And until that day, I will be forced to obey the rules. And so will you. So, if anyone is found carrying this book in school, they will be suspended. Donnie slips his book back into his backpack. Miss Pomeroy. But let's not worry, someone has already pre-ordered several dozen copies at Sarasota's Mall Walden Books. Now, in Mr. Green's absence, we will be reading another classic, Richard Adams' Watership Down. She begins to hand out copies of the paperback novel. Beth Farmer smiles and sees the cover. Beth. Aw, bunnies. Miss Pomeroy, whispering into his ear. Donnie, maybe you and Frank can read this one together. Interior school bathroom, midday. Donnie walks along the edge of the school. Suddenly, a figure approaches, grabbing him from behind, placing a switchblade next to his throat. It was Seth Devlin. Seth, did you tell them that I flooded the school? I didn't say shit. That's not what I heard. Now they think I did it. Well, if you're innocent, then you have nothing to worry about. You know what? I think you did it. Seth takes the knife and pokes the tip softly into the flesh of Donnie's neck, drawing a small amount of blood. He pushes Donnie away. Donnie touches his neck in shock. Interior physics class, day, 2.30 p.m. Donnie walks into the classroom and takes a seat next to Gretchen. He is sweating profusely. Dr. Monotov is handing out papers. The bell rings. People shuffle out. Dr. Monotov, don't forget tomorrow we'll be meeting with our partners for the Young Inventors Fair. Donnie rubs his finger over his neck wound. Gretchen, what happened to your neck? I don't want to talk about it. Donnie changing the subject. So what happened to your neck? The exterior golf course for us that afternoon. Donnie and Gretchen walk around the trail. Gretchen. Were you ever afraid of the dark? They pull over to a stop. Donnie. Why? She thinks for a moment. Gretchen. Babies cry because they're afraid of the dark and because they have no memories. For all they know, every night could be the last. Forever. Like perpetual darkness. Donnie. Why not just buy your baby a nightlight? Gretchen. That's not good enough. You've got to go back in time and take all those hours of darkness and pain and replace them with whatever you wanted. Donnie. With, like, images? Gretchen. Like a Hawaiian sunset. The Grand Canyon. Things that remind you how beautiful the world can be. Donnie stops and takes Gretchen's hand. Donnie. You know, we've been going together for a week and a half. Gretchen. And what? Well, you want to kiss me? Donnie goes in for an awkward kiss, but Gretchen turns and denies him. Donnie turns away, embarrassed. Donnie. That's alright. I understand, Gretchen. Embarrassed. No, Donnie. Wait. I've never, I've always wanted it to be at a time when, when it reminds you how beautiful the world can be, Gretchen. Yeah, and right now there's some fat guy over there watching us. A man in a red jogging suit is standing there in the forest smoking a cigarette. He turns away, disappearing into the woods. Exterior neighborhood street, later that afternoon. Donnie rides along the sidewalk and skids to a stop, seeing a wallet lying there. Donnie opens the wallet, looking at the ID. It reads, Jim Cunningham, 42 Powderham Drive, Middlesex VA, 23113, Frank, echoing in Donnie's head. Now you know where he lives. Donnie looks over and sees that he's in front of Cunningham's Tudor mansion. Interior kitchen, evening, 7 seven fifteen pm Whew! Interior kitchen, evening, seven fifteen pm Donnie sits at the kitchen island with Elizabeth, carving a pumpkin. Elizabeth. So I hear you have a girlfriend? Donnie. Yeah. Elizabeth. What's her name? You're not gonna tell mom, are you? Defensive. Why would I tell mom? Because you tell mom everything. No, I don't. She worries about you. Well, don't worry. I'm taking my medication. It's not that. I mean, I'm holding off to your teachers. I'll admit, when Dad told me what you said to Miss Farmer, I laughed my ass off. I was just being honest. Yeah, well, that's not the way the world works. If you keep being too honest, the world will eventually find a way to destroy you. Her name is Gretchen. That's a nice name. Okay, let me see it. Donnie turns the car of jack-o'-lantern around, and we see that it looks remarkably like Frank. Interior therapist's office. Night. 8 p.m. Rose and Eddie sit in front of Dr. Thurman. Rose. Thank you for seeing us. We just felt that it was time to discuss, Dr. Thurman, what I think is going on with your son. Rose. Well, you know about his past, and when you said to look for signs of aggression, he was recently suspended from school for insulting a gym teacher. <laughs> Eddie. She deserved it, Dr. Thurman. Rose, let me just lay out what I believe is happening here. Donnie's aggressive behavior seems to stem from his increased detachment from reality, his inability to cope with the forces in the world that he perceives to be threatening. Rose smiles nervously. Has your son ever told you about Frank? Rose. Come again? Dr. Thurman. Frank, the giant bunny rabbit? Rose. Frank? Dr. Thurman. Annie is experiencing what is commonly called a daylight hallucination. Rose, you're telling me my son has an imaginary friend? He has described lengthy conversations, physical encounters with what I believe to be a manifestation of his subconscious mind. Rose looks over at Eddie with an expression of panic. Rose, I, I, what can we do? Dr. Thurman, I would like to put him through more hypnotherapy and increase his medication. Eddie looks at Rose, who nods in approval. Rose. If that's what you think is necessary, Dr. Thurman. But let me remind you that this treatment is experimental. Interior, kitchen, night. Donnie walks over into the kitchen and removes a butcher's knife from a drawer. Interior, upstairs, bathroom, night. Donnie stands in front of the bathroom mirror, catatonic, looking at his reflection. Frank stands behind him. Suddenly, Donnie turns around with the butcher's knife and lunges at Frank with all his weight. The knife collides with Frank's invisible force field, as if it were a liquid steel. Donnie lunges repeatedly at Frank with a psychotic rage, but the knife bounces off. Title card, October 20th, 1988. Interior, school, auditorium, morning, 10 a.m. The auditorium is packed with with Middlesex mongrels. Jim Cunningham takes the stage. Jim Cunningham, shouting, Good morning, mongrels! (laughs) Audience, scattered voices. Good morning, Jim Cunningham. That's all the gusto you can muster? I said, good morning, good morning. Now that's better, but I still send some students out there who are afraid just to say good morning. Audience, good morning, Jim Cunningham. Are you afraid? Good morning, Jim Cunningham. Now that's what I like to hear suddenly serious. Because too many young men and women today are paralyzed by their fears. They give in to their feelings of self-doubt. They surrender their bodies to the temptations of drugs, alcohol, and premarital sex. Empty solutions. These are toxic chemicals and disease-spreading behavior. A large screen lowers behind him. I would like to tell you a story today about a young man whose life was destroyed by these instruments of fear. A young man searching for love in all the wrong places. Shaking his head tragically. His name was Frank. On the giant screen, an image slide appears of a young cartoon teenager whose eyes are whacked on drugs. The title card appears. His name was Frank. Upon hearing the name Frank, Donnie falls into a paranoid trance. Gretchen, who looks extremely bored, leans over to Donnie. Let's get out of here. Donnie ignores her. His eyes are locked on Jim Cunningham, who begins his rousing reenactment of the sad, unfortunate downfall of Frank. Within minutes, Jim Cunningham has the crowd laughing, enamored of him with the cartoon slideshow. Note, during the sequence, the camera speed ramps up to 4 BPS. Interior school auditorium next, 10.30 a.m. Donnie is in a trance. Donnie, we're moving through time. Gretchen, what? The huge screen rises upwards, and Jim Cunningham takes questions from the crowd from portable mic stands in the back of the auditorium. Several students get up and go to the mics. Dorky girl. Hi, um... My stepsister? Like, I sometimes worry that she eats too much. Overweight girl, mortified, yelling at her sister from the crowd. Shut up, Kim! Dorky girl, I'm just trying to help you. Jim Cunningham, there's no need to be embarrassed. Many times we eat because we're afraid to face the reality of our ego reflections. We shouldn't just look into the mirror. We look through the mirror. Dorky girl, thanks. Kitty Farmer runs out onto the stage and hands Jim Cunningham a bottle of water and a towel. She gives him a thumbs up sign and runs back off stage. Lanky kid. Um, how can I decide what I want to be when I grow up? Jim Cunningham. I think you should look deep within yourself, deep within your heart, and find what is in the world that makes you feel love. Just pure love. And then go with that. Into your studies, in your athletics, go towards love. Lanky kid. Thank you. Donnie gets up from a seat and goes to the mic. Larry Reisman. Where can I learn how to fight? Jim Cunningham. Violence is a product of fear. Those who love themselves enough should have no need to fight another person. Learn to truly love yourself, and the world will be yours. Larry. Okay. Donnie steps up to the mic stand. Donnie, furious. Uh, How much are they paying you to be here? Jim Cunningham. Excuse me, what's your name, son? Donnie. Uh, Gerald. Jim Cunningham. (laughs) Well, Gerald, uh, I think you're afraid. Donnie. Well, Jim, I think you're full of shit. There are rumblings from the faculty, some laughter from the student body. Donnie. Are you telling us this crap because you want us to buy your book? Because I'll tell you something. That was some of the worst advice I've ever heard. To the dorky girl. If you want your sister to lose weight, tell her to get off the couch, stop eating Twinkies, and maybe go out for field hockey or something. To the lanky kid. You're never going to know what you want to be when you grow up. Most of the time, nobody does. How about you, Jim? To Larry. And you, sick of some jerk shoving your head in the toilet? Then go lift some weights. Take a karate class. And the next time he tries to do it again, kick him in the balls. More rumbling from the faculty. Laughter from the students gets louder. Jim Cunningham getting angry. I think you're afraid to ask me for advice. I think you are a very troubled, confused young man. I think you're searching for answers in all the wrong places, Donnie. Well, I think you're the fucking antichrist. (laughs) The crowd is stirring. Students break into applause. Principal Cole approaches Donnie and removes him from the auditorium. Gretchen watches him go with a smile. Exterior, Old Gun Road, afternoon, 3.30 p.m. Donnie and Gretchen walk down the wooded road. Donnie, they suspended me for two days. Gretchen, "Uh, are you okay? Donnie, I've been seeing stuff. A lot of really messed up stuff. Do you know who Grandma Death is? Who? The old crazy woman who lives off Old Gun Road. Donnie takes out the book by Roberta Sparrow. Gretchen, oh, yeah. The philosophy of time travel. What is this? Donnie, she wrote it. There are chapters in this book that describe the stuff I've been seeing. It it, it can't just be a coincidence. Will you come see her with me? Exterior, Old Gun Road, next, 345 p.m. Donnie and Gretchen stand at the end of Grandma Death's driveway. Gretchen leads Donnie up to the front porch of the decrepit house. She then rings the doorbell. They wait for several moments. Nothing happens. Gretchen then goes and peers through a window. Donnie. I know she's here. She never leaves the house. Gretchen. Maybe she's asleep. They walk to the end of the driveway, and Donnie stops at the mailbox. He opens it. Empty. Gretchen, pointing to the house. Donnie, look. In an upstairs window of the house, the silhouette of Grandma Death peers down at them ominously. Interior. Donnie's room. Afternoon. Donnie sits at his desk, sealing an envelope. The address reads, Miss Roberta Sparrow, 22... Old Gun Road, Middlesex VA, 23113. Title card, October 23rd, 1988. Interior therapist office, evening, 6 p.m. Dr. Thurman looks at a diagram from Sparrow's book. Donnie is pacing around her office. Dr. Thurman. And they grow out of our stomachs? Donnie. It was just like she described them in her book. Like they were alive. The way they looked, moved, smelled, They were like workers, assigned to each one of us. I... I followed my spear, and I found something. Dr. Thurman. What did you find? Donnie is silent for a moment. Donnie. Nothing. Have you told Gretchen about the spears? Yeah, but if I told her about the other stuff, about Frank... Are you embarrassed by these things that you see? You know, every week I come in here and I tell you stuff, and it's all embarrassing. I tell you stuff that I don't tell anyone else. And you know what? It's your turn, Dr. Thurman. I'm not saying anything else until you until you tell me something embarrassing about yourself. Donnie makes a zipper lip gesture. Dr. Thurman. Long, stubborn meat. I once had an extended sexual fantasy involving Mr. Rogers. Donnie just stares at her. Whoa. That's okay, Dr. Thurman. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. I have sexual fantasies all the time, too. Dr. Thurman. I know. Donnie. I mean, Gretchen. She won't even let me kiss her. She says because it's our first kiss, she's like waiting for this big moment or something. I just don't get it. I just, I just want to get it over with so we can move on to the good stuff. Dr. Thurman, the good stuff. You know, fucking Dr. Thurman, cutting him off. Have you ever made love Donald? Donnie looks at her. We know the answer. (laughs) Interior kitchen, night, 7.15 p.m. The entire family is having dinner. Donnie is lost in a trance. Samantha, Donnie, are you coming to my talent show tomorrow? Donnie ignores her. Rose, he can't, Samantha. He's been suspended from after-school activities. Donnie, are you still with us? How was your therapy session tonight? Donnie, fine. You know, Dr. Thurman isn't so bad a lady. I can tell her anything. Rose appears surprised and then sad at this comment. She looks at Eddie, who just looks down at his plate of food. Exterior physics class, day, 12 p.m. Donnie and Gretchen are in the front of the room presenting their invention. Dr. Monotov presides. Donnie. So, we call them IMGs. Infant Memory Generators. Donnie. Yeah, so the idea is, you buy these glasses for your infant, and they wear them at night when they sleep. Gretchen. And inside these glasses are these slide photographs. And each photograph is of something peaceful. Or beautiful. Whatever pictures the parents wants to put inside. Dr. Monotov. And what effect do you think this would have on the infant? Donnie. Well, the thing is, nobody remembers their infancy, and anyone who says they do is lying. We think that this would help develop memory earlier in life? Dr. Monotov. Did you stop and think that maybe infants need darkness? That darkness is part of their natural development? Seth Davis raises his hand. Seth. What if the parents, like, put in photographs of Satan? Like pentagrams, dead people, stuff like that. Gretchen, is that what you would show your kids? Seth, I mean, didn't your dad, like, stab your mom? Dr. Monotov looks over at Seth calmly. Seth, get out. Seth begins to walk out. Gretchen doesn't answer. There is only the eighty IQ grin staring back at her face. The room is silent. Exterior, school, front entrance. Next, 2.15 p.m. Gretchen walks out the door. Donnie comes chasing after her. Donnie, Gretchen, Gretchen, wait up. She turns and faces him, tears in her eyes. Donnie, I'm so sorry. They embrace, kissing for the first time. Exterior, Bird Theater, Magic Hour, 5.30 p.m. The Old Fashioned Theater, Marquet, reads, Halloween Frightmare, The Evil Dead, Slash, The Last Temptation of Christ. Donnie and Gretchen approach the box office. Donnie, two for Evil Dead, please. Interior, Bird Theater, next. Donnie and Gretchen sit in the middle of a huge, empty theater. The evil dead unfolds. They eat popcorn and watch silently. Donnie looks over and sees that Gretchen is asleep. Donnie turns back to the movie, beginning to look ill. Frank. Feeling sick? Donnie turns his head over and looks across at Gretchen. Frank is sitting next to her. Frank. I want to show you something. You have to do something for me first. You have a request? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me why you're wearing that stupid bunny suit. Why are you wearing that stupid man suit? Take it off. I want to see you. After a moment, Frank slowly reaches up and removes the rabbit headpiece. Donnie's eyes widen. Underneath the headpiece is a human face of a handsome young man. His left eye does not exist because it has been imploded into the socket. There is blood oozing from the wound. Satisfied? Donnie just stares at him. What happened to your eye? I am so sorry. Why do they call you Frank? It is the name of my father and his father before me. How much longer is this going to last? You should already know that. Watch the movie, Donnie. I have something to show you. Donnie looks at the screen. On the screen, the evil dead morphs into a time portal. There's a storm coming. Have you ever seen a portal, Donnie? Suddenly, the screen morphs into an image of a large Tudor house. Burn it to the ground. Donnie pulls out Jim Cunningham's wallet from his pocket. Donnie contemplates his fate for several more moments, and then gets up and walks out. Exterior, Bird Theater, night, 6.30 p.m. Donnie walks slowly past the theater in Marquet. Interior, Auditorium, night, 7 p.m. On the stage, among blowing autumn leaves, Charita Chen performs a strangely beautiful mime act to Symphony No. 3 by Henrik Gorecki. When her act is finally over, the crowd is indifferent with scattered applause and laughter. Miss Pomeroy stands up and applauds enthusiastically. Clearly affected by the laughter, Charita walks off stage. In the front row, the entire Darko family has assembled. Interior, auditorium, backstage, night, 7.15 p.m. Kitty Farmer stands with the five-member dance team in a huddle. Miss Farmer. Now, girls, I want you to concentrate. Failure is not an option. And Bethany, if you feel you need to swallow... And Bethany, if you feel the need to vomit up there, just swallow it. Beth. Okay, Mom. Jim Cunningham walks past them towards the stage. He stops and touches Samantha on the shoulder, smiling. Jim Cunningham. Good luck out there. She smiles nervously back at him. He exits onto the stage. Interior Auditorium Stage, next, 7.20pm, Jim Cunningham. Thank you, Charita Chen. That was Autumn Angel, next. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce you, Emily Bates, Susie Bailey, Samantha Darko, Beth Farmer, and Joni James. They are Sparkle Motion. The audience roars with applause and the lights dim. The following montage alternates between the Auditorium Stage and Jim Cunningham's house. The stage lights slowly raise as the open beat of West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys begins. Under the soft stage lights, sparkle motion unfolds. Donnie approaches Jim Cunningham's house. Sparkle motion, in perfect synchronicity. In the living room of the house, Donnie walks through, dousing gasoline all over the place with the psychotic force. A trail of fire spreads. A mystery woman emerges from the back wall of the auditorium. A couch and curtains become engulfed in flames. Middlesex girls are jumping up and down in the aisles. Eddie and Rose are smiling ear to ear. Elizabeth Darko is cracking up at the entire scene. Kids are going bonkers in the aisles. The mystery woman takes off her glasses. Slow motion. Fire engulfs a deer taxidermy. Miss Pomeroy gets into the groove. The parents are now on their feet. The crowd roars even louder. Slow motion. Sparkle motion stands triumphant. Slow motion. Donnie stands before a wall of flames. Exterior, school, auditorium night, 8 p.m. Charita sits alone in the courtyard, at the base of the mongrel statue, defeated and alone. Interior, bird theater, night, 9 p.m. Donnie walks into the theater and sits next to Gretchen, who is asleep. As the credits to the film roll, Donnie wakes her up. Gretchen, disoriented. What? How long was I asleep? The whole movie. Let's go. Interior, Jim Cunningham's house, night, 9.45 p.m. Firemen walk through the charred room, shining flashlights. A fireman shines his flashlight onto a mysterious door with smoke emerging from it. He kicks the door in and shines the flashlight into a dark hole. Exterior, Carpathian Ridge, sunrise, 5 a.m. Donnie and Gretchen lie awake on a pile of blankets, staring out into the abyssal canyon. Helicopter shot. We swoop down over Carpathian Ridge, past Donnie and Gretchen, over the canyon, and the endless expanse of evergreen forest. Title card, October 22, 1988. Exterior, Darko House, Backyard. Patio, Morning, 11 a.m. Donnie and Eddie are in the backyard raking leaves onto a giant sheet. Donnie, I know everyone thinks I'm a nutcase. I've been getting a lot of weird looks from people lately. They rake in silence for a moment. Eddie, angry. Who's been giving you weird looks? Donnie, a lot of people, teachers. Younger kids. It's like they're afraid of me for some reason. But that's okay. Because I know I deserve it. Eddie stops raking. You're my only son. I know, Dad. I know I'm not the best communicator. But whatever happens in your life, whatever obstacles you come up against, you just say and do whatever is in your heart. You be honest and tell the truth. Even if they look at you funny. And... And they will. They'll tell you that you're wrong. They'll call you a fool. But what you gotta understand, son, is that almost all of those people are full of bullshit. And they're scared of people like you. Because you're smarter than all of them. Donnie smiles at his father. Interior, Donnie's room. Afternoon, 1pm. Donnie sits on his bed and stares at the calendar on his wall. Each day is marked with an X. He takes his pills from his nightstand and swallows down three. There are noises coming from downstairs. Interior family room. Afternoon. Donnie comes downstairs to see Elizabeth glued to the TV. Oh my god, that's him. That's the guy from last night. On the television, a newscaster stands in front of the charred heap of what was once a large suburban house. Firefighters mill about behind her. Newscaster. As firefighters continue their investigation, arson has not been ruled out as cause of the fire, particularly because of shocking discovery made earlier today among the burned ruins. In the basement of the house, authorities have discovered what has been described as a kiddie porn dungeon. Policemen emerged from the basement with several large boxes of evidence. Newscaster. Cunningham, who has become a recent celebrity for his motivational books, audio tapes, and videos, ducked his head from the cameras when he was arrested at the Sarasota Heights Golf Club this morning. In a vicious statement, Cunning Visions executive, Linda Connie, attacked the Middlesex Fire Department, claiming a vast conspiracy. Donnie stares at the television, speechless, horrified. On the TV, Jim Cunningham hides his face from the camera. Elizabeth, oh my god, dad played golf with that guy. Donnie says nothing, turns around, and walks upstairs. Interior physics class, day, 2pm. Donnie and Dr. Monatoff are having another in-depth conversation. Dr. Monitoff. Each vessel travels along a vector path through space-time, along its center of gravity, Donny to himself, like a spear. Beg pardon? Like a, a spear that comes out of your stomach? Uh, sure. And in order for the vessel to travel through time, it must find the portal. In this case, the wormhole, or some unforeseen portal that lies undiscovered. Could wormholes appear in nature? That is highly unlikely, you're talking about an act of God. Well, if God controls time, then all time is predecided. Then every living thing travels along a set path. Dr. Monotov, I'm not following you. Donnie. If you could see your path or channel growing out of your stomach, you could see into the future. And that's a form of time travel, right? Dr. Monatov? you're contradicting yourself there, Donnie. If you could see our destinies manifest themselves visually... Then we would be given the choice to betray our chosen destinies. The very fact that this choice exists would mean that all preformed destiny would end. Donnie, not if you chose to stay within God's channel. Dr. Monotov, cutting him off. Donnie, I'm afraid I can't continue this conversation. I could lose my job. Interior teacher's lounge, afternoon, 2.30 p.m. Miss Pomeroy sits across from Dr. Monotov. They both grade papers silently. Dr. Monotov stares at her for a moment. Dr. Monotov, incredulous. Donnie Darko. She stares at him for a while, haunted by something. Interior Principal Cole's office, afternoon, 3 p.m. Miss Pomeroy sits across from Principal Cole. Principal Cole. I'm sorry, Karen, this is a specialized school. We don't think the methods you've undertaken here are appropriate. Miss Pomeroy. <laughs> appropriate? Trying to contain her anger. With all due respect, sir, what specifically about my methods do you find inappropriate? Principal Cole stares at her for a moment. I don't have to get myself into a debate about this, Karen. I believe I've made myself clear. Miss Pomeroy. You call this clarity? I don't think you have a clue what's really like to communicate with these kids. You don't think that they can smell your bullshit from a mile away? Every day that goes by, that we fail to inspire them, is another moment that we all lose. And we're here losing them to apathy and, and this prescribed nonsense— They are slipping away, Principal Cole. I'm sorry that you have failed. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have another appointment. You can finish out the week. Interior School's Office slash Teacher's Lounge, next, 3.15 p.m. Miss Pomeroy steps out from Principal Cole's office. She sees Kitty Farmer and Sparkle Motion girls milling about. The mystery woman is there as well. Miss Pomeroy glares at Kitty Farmer before leaving. Exterior Middlesex Ridge School, next, 3.30 p.m. Miss Pomeroy steps outside through the emergency exit. She stares out at the beautiful forest. Her eyes are filled with tears. Miss Pomeroy, fuck! Hearing the screams from the distance, we see Charita Chen turn her head in shock as she walks alone along the edge of the school building, eating her lunch. She and Miss Pomeroy share a moment of eye contact before she turns and heads back into the school. Interior main school hallway. Next, 3:45 p.m. Miss Pomeroy walks slowly through the hallway, wiping tears from her face. Principal Cole over the intercom. Good afternoon. It is my great pleasure to announce that Middlesex Middle School Team Dance has been invited to perform on Ed McMahon's Star Search 88 in Los Angeles, California. Interior, Principal Cole's office next, 345. The Sparkle Motion girls squeal with excitement, jumping up and down. Kitty Farmer pumps her fist in victory. Suddenly... Linda Connie bursts into the office, grabbing Kitty by the arm. The teacher holds up a newspaper, where the headline reads, Jim Cunningham charged. Kitty's facial expression goes from elation to horror. Interior English class, morning, 8.30 p.m. The classroom is dark. The students watch Watership Down, the movie. Donnie's asleep. Gretchen stares at him. Miss Pomeroy stares at Gretchen. Suddenly, she turns the lights on, turning off the TV. Donnie wakes up with dark circles under his eyes. Miss Pomeroy, and when the other rabbits hear of Pfeiffer's vision, do they believe him? <laughs> it could be the death of an entire way of life, the end of an era. Donnie, why should we care? Because the rabbits are us, Donnie. Why should I mourn for a rabbit like it was human? Is the death of one species less tragic than another? Of course! A rabbit is not like us. It has no history books, it has no knowledge of sorrow or regret. I like bunnies and all. They're cute and they're horny. And if you're cute and horny, then you're probably happy that you don't know who you are or even why you're alive. But the only thing I've known rabbits to do is have sex as many times as possible before they die. He looks over at Gretchen, who looks angry at this. Donnie. There's no point in crying over a dead rabbit who never feared death to begin with. The class is silent for a moment. Gretchen, you're wrong you're wrong about these rabbits. These rabbits can talk. They are the product of the author's imagination, and he cares for them, so we care for them too. We care that their home has been destroyed, and that their lives are in danger. Otherwise, we've missed the point, Miss Pomeroy. But aren't we forgetting the miracle of storytelling? The Dea Ex Machina? The God Machine? That's how the rabbits are saved. Gretchen looks across the room at Donnie with a disdainful expression. Interior, main school hallway, later, 9 a.m. Donnie approaches Gretchen at her locker. Donnie, you want to skip fourth period and go to the ridge? Gretchen, what's wrong with you? What do you mean? She turns and walks off, leaving Donnie broken and dejected. Interior, Donnie's room, night, 6.30 p.m. Donnie sits at his desk, looking at an intricate drawing of a cloud formation. On it, he has written, The Portal. Interior, kitchen, night, 7 p.m. Rose and Eddie are in the kitchen. He's getting ready for a business trip. Samantha is jumping up and down. Elizabeth is jumping up and down, dancing with her. Donnie looks into the kitchen from the foyer, catching his family in a serene, contented moment of happiness. A moment that he chooses not to interrupt. Title card, October 25, 1988. Interior, exterior, foyer, front porch, day, 3 p.m. Doorbell rings. Rose answers the door. Kitty Farmer is there on the front porch. She is wearing a t-shirt that reads, God is awesome! Miss Farmer, Rose, Rose, Kitty, (laughs) Miss Farmer, Rose, we have a crisis. I am sure that you are aware of the horrible allegations against Jim Cunningham, Rose. Yes, I saw the news. Something about a kitty porn dungeon, Miss Farmer. Please, don't say those words. (laughs) Well, as you can see, many of us are devastated by this news. This is obviously some kind of conspiracy meant to destroy an innocent man. I have taken it upon myself to spearhead the Jim Cunningham defense campaign, but unfortunately my civic duties have created a conflict of interest, which involves you, Rose. Beg pardon? Miss Farmer. Rose, I have to appear at the arraignment tomorrow morning, and as you know, the girls also leave for Los Angeles tomorrow morning. Now, as their coach, I was the obvious choice to chaperone them on the trip. But now you can't go. Yes. And believe me, of all the other mothers, I would never dream of asking you, given the predicament with your son. But none of the other mothers are able to go. Rose. Oh, Kitty. I don't know. This is last minute, and Eddie is in New York. Miss Farmer, Rose! I don't know if you realize how great an opportunity this is for our daughters. This has been a dream of ours for a long time. Sometimes I seriously doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Interior Donnie's room, night, 7 p.m. Rose is standing in Donnie's room alone. She stares at a drawing of Frank that he has tacked onto the bulletin board. Donnie appears in the doorway. Rose jumps. Donnie, I feel like I'm approaching something horrible. Donnie walks over and sits on his bed. Rose goes and sits next to him. Rose, I have to take the girls to Los Angeles tomorrow. Donnie, do you get to meet Ed? (laughs) If I'm lucky. So I won't be back until the 1st. Your dad will be back on Sunday, so I put Elizabeth in charge until then. She has the car, so she can drive you to your therapy tomorrow. Donnie. How's it feel to have a wacko for a son? Rose. Embracing him. It feels wonderful. Exterior, Darko House, driveway. Morning, 10 a.m. Rose brings her luggage out to the airport van. Mystery woman loads Beth Farmer into the van. Donnie sits on the back porch steps, watching everyone silently. Elizabeth gives Samantha a hug. Elizabeth, you're going to win. I know it, Samantha. So do I, to Donnie. Bye, Donnie. Donnie waves goodbye. Rose, here are the keys to the Tars. There's plenty of groceries in the fridge, and I left some money in the kitchen table. And don't forget, Elizabeth. Don't worry, Mom. Just go. You'll miss your flight. Rose turns, wanting to say goodbye to Donnie, but not knowing how. She smiles and waves goodbye. Donnie waves back. Rose turns and goes to the van, handing the driver her last bag. Donnie. Mom? Donnie stands up and reluctantly approaches from the porch. Donnie. There's nothing broken in my brain. Rose stands there for a minute, looking at her only son, Samantha. Come on, Mom! Rose to Donnie, holding back tears. I know. She gets into the van, and Donnie and Elizabeth watch them drive off. Interior school, main hallway, afternoon, 3 p.m. Donnie walks up to Gretchen, who stands at her locker with several other girls, The girls whisper to each other as he approaches. Donnie, will you please talk to me? Gretchen, not now, Donnie. It isn't a good time. Then when? I have to talk to you. Gretchen walks away, looking back at him with apologetic eyes. Interior English class, moments later, 3.15 p.m. Donnie walks alone through the hallways, lost. He stumbles upon Miss Pomeroy's room. She sits behind her desk, which has been packed up into a cardboard box. Donnie knocking on the door. Miss Pomeroy? What's going on? Miss Pomeroy Donnie, it's Friday. Shouldn't you be off with your friends scaring old people? Donnie where are you going? I don't know, that's a good question. But suffice to say I am no longer your English teacher. They fired me. That's bullshit. You're a good teacher. Thank you, Donnie, and you're a good student. Lazy, but a good student. Unlike most of the others, you question mom and dad's rules. What do I tell the rest of the class when they ask about you? Tell them that everything's going to be just fine. It's up to the children to save themselves these days, because parents, they don't have a clue. Donnie looks up at the blackboard. On it, she's written in perfect penmanship, cellar door. Donnie. What's cellar door? Miss Pomeroy, spaced out. A famous linguist once said that of all the phrases in the English language, Of all the endless combination of words in all history, that cellar door is the most beautiful. She is silent for a moment. Donnie. Cellar door. Miss Pomeroy. Sometimes it's the only thing that keeps us going. She takes a box and crosses the room towards Donnie. Miss Pomeroy. So, will Donnie find his cellar door? Donnie. I think I already have. But now she won't even talk to me. Miss Pomeroy. And go find her, Donnie. Don't let her get away. She was right about the rabbits. Go. Into your main hallway, next, 3.15 p.m. And with that, Miss Pomeroy turns and walks down the hallway with her career in a cardboard box, heading towards the bright Friday afternoon sunlight. Donnie walks back down the hallway, lost in his own introspection. Across the way, at her locker, is Trita Chen. Donnie approaches her slowly, like a cat. She turns from her locker, and they make eye contact. She looks at him warily, frightened. A book falls from her arms onto the floor. Written in large letters on the brown book cover is his name, Donnie Darko. He comes face to face with her, grabs her earmuffs with both hands, and touches his forehead to hers as if they were going to kiss. Donnie, I promise that one day things will get better for you. Charita holds still for a moment, trembling, and then jerks back from him. Her earmuffs come off in his hands. She backs away from him slowly. A single tear rolls down her cheek. Chut up! And then she turns and runs down the hall, disappearing from sight. Exterior, Old Gun Road, afternoon, 4 p.m. Donnie walks by himself, thinking, wearing Charita's earmuffs. Title Card October 29, 1988. Interior Therapist's Office, day, 1.30 p.m. Donnie is under hypnosis. Dr. Thurman, and when I clap my hands together twice, you will wake up. Do you understand? Yes. So, your parents, why did you disappoint them? I I was playing with fire. Is it Frank who wants you to destroy the world, to set the world on fire? Donnie doesn't answer. People get hurt. Dr. Thurman. But it was an accident. The house was under construction. People get hurt. I, I don't want to hurt anyone. But you were punished. Yeah, I went to jail. Do you wish that you were punished by your parents instead? They didn't buy me what I wanted for Christmas that year. What did you want for Christmas that year? Hungry, hungry hippos. How did you feel being denied those hungry, hungry hippos? Regret. What else makes you feel regret? That I did it again? Dr. Thurman, alarmed. You've done it again? Yeah. I flooded my school. I burnt down that pervert's house. I think I only have a few days left before they catch me. Dr. Thurman. Why did you do these things, Donnie? Did Frank tell you to commit these crimes? He does not respond. I have to obey him because he, he saved my life. He controls me and I have to obey him or I'll be left all alone. I'll never figure out what all of this means. If God exists, I think now that he might. Why? Because I'm so horny. God exists because you're horny. I think so. I think that's one of the clues. It's a clue that tells us to keep going. Where are we going? No answer. Where are we going, Donald? I have the power to build a time machine. How is that possible? Grandma Death will teach me how. Soon. Then how is time travel possible? It would have to be God's portal. They will lead me to it. Then I will go back in time. I won't feel regret anymore. When will this happen? Soon. Time is almost up. Donnie gets up on his feet, staggering around the room. He looks frightened, childlike. It has to happen soon. It has to happen soon. Dr. Thurman gets up and tries to control Donnie, following him around the room. What is going to happen? Donnie, freaking out. Frank is going to kill. Who is he going to kill? Dr. Thurman grabs him, trying to get him under control in an awkward embrace. Who is he going to kill? Donnie stares across the office like a frightened child as the room becomes white with artificial light. Frank is there in the office, staring back at him. I can see him right now. Where is he, Donald? He's right there. He can read my mind, and he'll show me the way out of this. The sky is going to open up, and he will reveal himself to me. Dr. Thurman. If the sky were to suddenly open up, there would be no law. There would be no rule. There would only be you and your memories, and the choices you've made, and the people you've touched. The life that has been carved out from your subconscious is the only evidence by which you will be judged, by which you must judge yourself. Because when this world ends, there will only be you and him, and no one else. It's too late. I've already ruined my life. You will survive this, Donald. I promise you that you will survive. You must let me help you. And when I clap my hands together, you will wake up. She claps her hands together twice, and Donnie snaps out of his trance. Interior therapist's office, afternoon, 2 p.m. Donnie, calm down and putting his jacket away, walks slowly towards the doorway. Dr. Thurman stands, looking out the window. Donald? Donnie turns back and faces her. Beat. Dr. Thurman. Your medication. They're placebos. Just pills made of water. Donnie, thank you. Dr. Thurman. Donald, an atheist is someone who denies altogether the existence of God. You are an agnostic. An agnostic is someone who believes that there can be no proof of the existence of God, but does not deny the possibility that God exists. Goodbye, Dr. Thurman. Goodbye, Donald. Interior kitchen. Day. Donnie walks into the kitchen where Elizabeth is sitting on the table. In shock. I got in. I'm going to Harvard. Donnie. Congratulations. Donnie sits down across from her. Mom and dad won't be back until Sunday night. It's Halloween carnival. We should totally throw a party. We could totally get away with it. Elizabeth. Okay, but it has to be a small one. Donnie. Everything is going to be just fine. Exterior. Darko house. Night. 9 p.m. Neighborhood kids are trick-or-treating. The man in the red jogging suit shines a flashlight towards the house. There are at least two dozen cars parked in front of the house, and somebody is already throwing toilet paper in the trees. Interior foyer, night, 9.30 p.m. The doorbell rings. Donnie answers the door, only to find Sean and Ronald dressed up in black with monster masks. They are both carrying backpacks. Donnie is dressed in a black skeleton suit, and his face is painted white like a skull. Sean. We got eggs, water balloons, and a dozen rolls of toilet paper. Ronald, I stole four beers from my dad. Donnie, there's a keg here. Sean, only pussies drink keg beer. They go back into the house towards the kitchen. There are at least 40 people, already quite wasted. Many carrying their own 12 packs of beer under their arms. Almost everyone is wearing a costume. Donnie and his friends weave through the crowd towards the patio. Exterior, backyard, slash patio, next. Donnie and his friends watching the party unfold. The party grows larger. Interior therapist office night. Dr. Thurman paces around her office with the phone to her ear. Interior master bedroom night. The phone is ringing. The answering machine picks up. Interior foyer. Later on. 11 p.m. The doorbell rings and once again Donnie is the one to answer it. To his surprise, it is Gretchen standing on the front porch. Gretchen, very upset. Hey. Donnie. Hey, you okay? Gretchen, walking inside. My mom is gone. Where is she? Close to tears. I don't know. She didn't leave a note. The house is all messed up. Donnie. But you're okay? She nods. Yes. Donnie. Did you call the cops? Yeah. They told me to get out of the house. Donnie takes Gretchen into the hallway and gives her a hug. I'm so scared. I, I just keep thinking that something awful has happened. It's my fucking stepdad. I know it. Donnie embraces her. It's safe here. Donnie takes Gretchen upstairs. We reveal Elizabeth watching them go. Interior family room. Next. Elizabeth walks over to a friend. Elizabeth yells over the music. Have you seen Frank? Friend. No. I think they said they were going on a beer run? Interior master bedroom. Next. 11.15 p.m. Donnie and Gretchen sit on the bed. Gretchen takes a sip of beer. Gretchen. Some people are just born with tragedy in their blood. He kisses her. He then pulls back. Gretchen. What? What? Donnie, there's something you have to know, Gretchen. Everything is going to be just fine. They lie down together, silently listening to the party below. The phone is ringing. The answering machine picks up. Rose, on the answering machine. If you're there, please pick up. Oh, well, Uh, there's good news. The girls, they got three and a half stars. They get to come back for the quarterfinals. Interior, lax terminal, night, 9 p.m. Rose stands at a payphone while the Sparkle Motion girls wait at the terminal. Samantha, Semi-finals, Mom! Rose, Sorry, semi-finals. Anyways, we're taking the red eye back tonight and we should arrive around 6 a.m. I hope everything is alright. Bye. Interior foyer, night, 12 a.m. We move towards the grandfather clock and see the minute hand reach midnight. Interior foyer, night, 12.30 a.m. Donnie and Gretchen walk downstairs. They kiss and she goes towards the family room. Donnie walks toward the kitchen, but then doubles over against the wall in pain. Suddenly, the room blows out with the strobe of white light, as costumed teenagers and their vector spears intersect in a shimmering maze of chaos. Donnie slowly follows his spear as it leads him through the crowd, directly towards the refrigerator. Donnie stares blankly at what he sees, scrawled in magic marker on the memo board. It reads, Frank was here. Went to get beer. Donnie stares at the board for several moments. He then turns his head and sees a teenager with a Ronald Reagan mask walk by. He then sees another spear coming towards him. Gretchen rounds the corner, coming in from the family room. Donnie falls to his knees and puts his face inside the head of Gretchen's spear. We see his POV, an abyssal tunnel of light. Donnie, come with me. Gretchen, where are we going? He grabs her and pulls her out of the back of the kitchen into the backyard. Ronald and Sean follow. Exterior, backyard, patio, next. They move through the backyard. Gretchen, Donnie, what's going on? She stops him. Time is running out. We have to go see Grandma Death. We have to talk to her. Why? Is it about the book? No, Frank. Who's Frank? Ronald and Sean approach. Donnie, where are we going? Donnie looks at Gretchen. This is it. Donnie, she knows. I know she knows. Exterior neighborhood street night, 1.15 a.m. The group of four ride their bikes down the street. Exterior, forest, night, 1.45 a.m. They ride their bikes across the forest. Exterior, Grandma Death's house, night, 1.30 a.m. They stand in front of the dark house. It is pitch black. No lights anywhere. Sean. There's nobody here. Just forget about it. Then, there's a clanking noise from somewhere around the side of the house. Everyone hears it. Donnie looks toward the lower front of the house where there is a cellar door. Gretchen. Is that a cellar door? Donnie, his eyes widened. Yeah. The cellar door is ajar, and there's a dim light coming out from inside. Ronald. Don't open it, Donnie. Let's just leave. Interior Grandma Death's cellar. Next. Donnie and Gretchen open the door to the cellar and descend down into a murky pit with a stone floor. Inside, the room is quite large, filled with row after row of boxes, paintings, antique furniture, and chandeliers. There's even an ancient piano in the back. Gretchen slowly reaches her hand out and places her finger on the deepest piano key. Suddenly, a figure emerges from the shadow and slams Donnie into the wall. Then he grabs Gretchen by placing an arm around her neck with a butcher knife. It is Ricky Danforth. Seth comes out from another corner, also brandishing a butcher's knife. Both have pantyhose pulled over their heads. Ricky. Get the fuck out! Now! Ricky drags Gretchen out. Seth drags Donnie out. Exterior Grandma Death's house. Next. The four of them come bursting out of the cellar. Seth holds Donnie's arms down with his knees and places the butcher's knife against his throat. Ricky throws Gretchen down hard onto the shoulder of Old Gun Road. She lets out a gasp of pain as her head hits the gravel. Ricky, motherfuckers, Seth, I have a bigger knife now. Sean and Ronald watch, dumbfounded, backing away. Seth just stares down at Donnie with dead eyes, pushing the knife down harder, cutting off Donnie's air supply. Sean, hey, there's someone coming. Look, there's a car coming. Seth slowly turns his head and sees, far down Old Gun Road, approaching headlights. Donnie, barely audible whisper, (coughs) Do ex machina. Seth, what did you say? Donnie, our savior. The headlights are getting close. Ricky, they called the fucking cops. Gretchen struggles to breathe on the shoulder of the road, the wind knocked out of her, semi-conscious. Seth, that's no cop. The headlights are getting close. Gretchen, in a horse Donny, Donnie! Even closer. Donnie. You better run, Ricky. Forget it. Let's go. Seth doesn't move. He just stares down at Donnie. Ricky. Come on, let's go. Seth. You're dead, Donnie Darko. Seth gets up and runs off with Ricky into the forest, just as the approaching car crests the top of Old Gun Road at breakneck speed. Suddenly, in the bright glow of the car's headlights, is the silhouette of Grandma Death, standing in the middle of the road. In her right hand, she is clutching a letter. Donnie's letter. Gretchen. Donnie! The car swerves left, barely missing Grandma Death. The Pontiac tries to brake hard, but the wheels lock, and it goes skidding onto the shoulder. Gretchen raises her head from the gravel into the bright headlight beams. The Trans Ams goes barreling over her like a speed bump, and her limp body rolls off into a grassy ditch. The Trans Ams skids off into the grass and collides head-on with the crumbling stone chimney, which explodes into a crumpled hood of the car as it eventually comes to a stop in a fury of smoke. Donnie staggers to his feet, regaining his breath. He runs over to Gretchen and kneels down next to her. Donnie. Gretchen! Wake up! Wake up! Her neck is broken. She has no pulse. The passenger door to the Trans Am opens, and a passenger in a clown costume gets out. The driver's side door opens, and the driver gets out. He is wearing a rabbit suit, a Halloween costume. He is holding the grotesque rabbit helmet in his hand. It is Frank. Passenger. Frank, what'd you, what'd you do? What'd you do? Frank approaches Donnie, who raises his head from Gretchen to see him for the first time, face to face, with an expression of shocked horror. Passenger. She's dead. You killed her, Frank. Frank is in shock. Frank. She's dead. Donnie slowly nods his head. Sean and Ronald approach him slowly. Grandma Death looms behind them. Frank. What the fuck? Look at my fucking car. Passenger. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here, Frank. Frank. What were you stupid fucks doing in the middle of the road? Donnie. Waiting for you. Donnie raises the gun from his father's closet with his right hand, and to his own surprise, he pulls the trigger. Frank's left eye implodes as the bullet passes through his head. His body falls limply to the ground. Passenger, holy shit. The passenger turns and runs off into the woods. Ronald, what'd you do, Donnie? What'd you do? Donnie, very calm. Go home. Go home and tell your parents that everything's going to be just fine. After the contemplation of the recent events, Sean and Ronald turn and run off in the opposite direction. Donnie is left alone with the dead bodies. He turns and stares at Grandma Death, who is calmly standing there with his letter in her hand grandma death. A storm is coming. You must hurry. Donnie is still in shock. Exterior neighborhood street, early morning, 4.30 a.m. Donnie carries Gretchen home. Interior family room next. Donnie looks down at Elizabeth asleep on the couch. He then leans down and gives her a kiss on the forehead. Exterior, Darko House. Driveway next. Donnie walks out to the tars, then stops and looks up at the sky. Exterior, Darko House. Driveway next. The time portal begins to form above the house. Donnie touches his stomach, feeling sick once again. Donnie then steps into the car, where Gretchen sits in the passenger seat. He turns on the engine and peels out of the driveway. Interior Ford Taurus, early morning. Donnie drives the car up to Carpathian Ridge. Exterior Carpathian Ridge, early morning, 5.30 a.m. Donnie sits on the roof of the Taurus, looking out. He smiles, lighting a cigarette. Donnie. 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, 12 seconds. We're almost home. Exterior sky, next. We see the time portal in the distance forming. Interior flight, 2806, dawn, 6 a.m. Samantha Darko is fast asleep, her head rests against Rose's shoulder. She looks out of the window at the rising sun. Exterior Darko house, dawn. The portal continues to form above the Darko house. Police cars pull up in front of the house. Exterior, Carpathian Ridge, Dawn. Donnie continues to stare out at the canyon. Exterior, Sky, next. We see the time portal once again. Interior, Ford Taurus, next. Donnie steps off the hood and gets into the car. He takes Gretchen's hand. Interior, Flight 2806, next. On the plane, Rose looks out of the window. As the jet wing explodes. Audio only. We don't see it. She screams out as the cabin shakes violently. Exterior, Darko House, Dawn. The time portal continues to form over the house. Exterior sky, next. The left jet engine from flight 2806 falls downward through the sky. Beneath it, the portal forms itself. Exterior sky, next. The falling jet engine approaches the hexagonal plate of light which accelerates downward, forming a tunnel with walls made of swirling liquid marble. The jet engine passes into the hexagonal plate. Interior, exterior, various. In a series of intervalometer time-lapse shots, the entire suburban landscape retreats backward in a fury of speed. Shot 1. A time lapse of the mongrel statue. Shot 2. A time lapse of the main school hallway. Shot 3. A time lapse of the main school building. Shot 4. A time lapse of neighborhood street/slash Darko house. Interior foyer. Night. We steady cam up the stairs. Interior Donnie's room. Night. We move towards Donnie's empty bed. Title card. October 2, 1988. Interior various bedrooms, night, 1.30 a.m. Dr. Thurman wakes up. Jim Cunningham wakes up, sobbing. Kitty Farmer wakes up, coming to a horrible realization. Karen Pomeroy and Dr. Monotov wake up together. Charita Chen wakes up. Exterior sky, night, 1.30 a.m. The jet engine falls silently through the night towards the Darko house, having traveled back in time. Interior Donny's Donnie's room, next. Donnie wakes up. He is laughing hysterically. The engine crashes through a ceiling, engulfing the room. Interior family room. Next. Eddie jumps up from the lazy boy, startled awake by the impact. Interior master bedroom. Next. Rose sits up, hearing the crash. Rose. Eddie? Interior foyer. Next. Elizabeth leans against the wall, screaming. Interior Donnie's room. Next. The mammoth jet engine has plummeted all the way down through the house, creating a cavernous hole that splits Donnie's room in half. The smoke from the wreckage begins to clear. Above the engine is Donnie, impaled through the stomach by a wooden beam that was once part of the floor beneath his bed. There is blood gushing from his mouth, and his face is contorted into an expression that could almost be a smile. Exterior neighborhood, street, morning, 11 a.m. The same disaster scene as before. Only more media, more neighbors, and a coroner. People stand around in shock, disbelief. From the other end of the street, a girl comes riding along on a bike, slowly taking in the entire scene. She pulls up to the curb where a kid named David, 11, is standing around. It is Gretchen Ross. Gretchen, hi, what's going on here? David, horrible accident. My neighbor got killed. Gretchen, what happened? He got smushed by a jet engine. She stares at the house, where the paramedics wheel a body out of the front door. What was his name? Donnie. Donnie Darko. They stare at the front yard for a while. We see Elizabeth. We see Eddie, carrying Samantha, who is crying. David. I feel bad for his family. Gretchen. Yeah. David. Did you know him? She stares at the family for several moments, and then shakes her head slowly as if trying to locate a memory that is slipping away. No. Rose, leaning against a tree while smoking a cigarette, notices them. She seems to recognize Gretchen from somewhere in a vast reservoir of her memory. She waves at her. She waves back. Fade out. The end. His room is organized, is an organized wreck. straight. Dr. Thurman. Dr. Thurman.